Lord, we're thankful for your goodness to us and for being with us here today. We're asking you to look in our hearts and tell us what we truly need. Tell us the change and what it looks like. Speak to us as only you can. We invite you in, in Jesus' name. So I went looking to see how New Year's resolutions usually work, and I found a place on the web where all knowledge resides, and found a place that had done surveys last year at the, after the New Year to see what people had chosen as their New Year's resolutions, and I have the top 10 list. I'm sure you just can hardly wait to hear it. Here's the top 10, because some of you are already thinking about these, and you'll find them familiar. Maybe you've even tried them before. Number one, eat healthier. Good idea, right? Can't go wrong. Number two, get more exercise. Probably a lot of us need that, including me. Number three, save more money. Number four, focus on self-care, things like needing more sleep and those kinds of things. Number five, read more. Number six, make new friends. Number seven, learn a new skill. Number eight, get a new job. Maybe that's related to the new skill. Number nine, take up a new hobby. Sometimes hobbies turn into new jobs, right? Number 10, you'll like this one, no plans for making any new resolutions. (laughs) Number 10. So while a lot of these sound familiar and some of these ideas are really great choices and we probably ought to do some of those, what we've found out, and I'm sure that you found out from your own experience as well as the people who have studied it, tell us that 80% of those who make New Year resolutions have given up on them and moved on within the first two weeks of the new year. So, I don't know about you, but maybe you're part of the 20% that makes the resolution and sticks with it. But my guess is if you're one of the 20%, you don't need to make resolutions because you already live a disciplined life and you're doing those things already. But if you're about the 80%, I'm just gonna ask the question, isn't there a way to do this better than to make promises to ourselves and promises to others that we, we wish we would do but we don't actually intend to keep because we know ourselves too well? They might sound great. They might be wonderful for us, and some of them could really be helpful and good choices. Maybe we'll do them. But what could we do that would last? In fact, what could we do today, not just tomorrow or not next week or the week after, what could we do today to make a better new year? What if instead of making resolutions and promises, we tried a different approach? What if we could end the year in a better place? End the year more empowered and more free to live the life that God intended for us. If we could end the year without regret, begin the new year with a fresh start. So let's talk about how we might finish well first. What do we need to do in our lives to be able to say that we finished this year well, we might look back on the year and wish that a lot of things had turned out differently. We might think about how relationships could have been handled better, more attention given. We might think about our work life and how we wish we had done some things differently. Maybe how we could have taken better care of our health or made some changes in that way. 
or maybe even our finances where we didn't make the best choices that we could have. So what can we do now? You may be saying, well, yeah, I've made mistakes. I can look back, I can see what they are, but it's done. I can't fix all of it now. What am I supposed to do? What can I do now? Well, let me suggest that the first step for today is to learn to let go of our losses, to commit to love those we love, become free to dream of a future God still wants to lead us into for his glory. The secret to living in the future, a better future, is really to forgive the past. To look back at the things that you wished had been different and instead of dwelling there and feeling the guilt of those things, to release them and to move on. Free to do the new things that will be the better life that you want. I've come to believe that your ability to forgive and show grace to others, by the way, this is a part of the process, forgiving yourself, forgiving others. Your ability to forgive and show grace for the past is limited by how well you have experienced the forgiveness and the grace of God inside for yourself. Let me say this once more. Your ability to forgive and move on is directly related to how well you have experienced internally the power of the grace of God for yourself. Jesus tells a story that teaches this very principle and he wants us to understand it. It comes as a response to the question from Peter, this question that we've heard, uh, Matthew 18, verses 21 and 20. Peter comes to Jesus and he asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now think about it. This is Peter, not just anybody. This is Peter. Peter is the guy who's very passionate and almost always over the top. So I believe that when Peter comes and asks this question of Jesus, Peter's thinking, yeah, I got it. I'm not just going to forgive one time or two times. I'm going to impress Jesus. Jesus, I know I need to forgive seven times. That's a lot. He thinks he's got it figured out. And yet Jesus has to help Peter with this a little bit more. Because Peter thinks there's a limit. Peter thinks there's a number. He still does. And Jesus has to come back and say to him, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And that's too much for Peter. That's a lot. That's a lot. More than seven times. In fact, some of us are sitting here doing the math. We've already got it figured out. We know how many times that is, and we think if we get to that number, then that's enough, right? But I think that what Jesus intended for us here was not to give us a number, that if we've done that many, that's enough, and we can stop forgiving, and that's complete. Jesus wants us to know that that number is so big that it's pretty hard to keep track. It's pretty hard to keep counting because it's not a number of 490. It's a number of forgive and keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving. Keep moving on and stop looking back. Stop holding those things in your heart. Because I don't know if you could keep track of that many times of forgiveness. You just have to keep forgiving. We know this because of the story that Jesus tells next. Jesus tells this story, it gets the parable in Matthew 18, um, verses 23 and following. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven 
is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. In this time of year, people settle accounts, right? They want to make sure the books are clear. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now think about this, 10,000 bags of gold, and this man's a servant. Now we're not told how he got into this kind of debt. I have no idea how a servant could spend 10,000 bags of gold and get into this giant amount of debt. We're not told that. We just know he's in a debt. He is way over his head. He will never, ever be able to repay it. That's the number. A lifetime and more of debt. So he owes this giant debt. And since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. Probably still not going to pay back the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Really? Probably not. But he's begging. He wants to try. And you need to think about it. If the king had simply said to him, I will be generous to you. I will be long-suffering to you. I will let you pay this back the rest of your life to the best of your ability. That would have been generous. But that's not what the king said. The king listened to this man, heard him crying out, had pity on him, we're told. had pity on him, and he said, I'm going to cancel the debt, and I'm going to let you go. A lifetime of debt, probably ill-conceived and his fault anyway, was completely forgiven with no record to be left. Gone, all of his debt, and set free. The guy would have to be pretty happy, right? Pretty happy. So what does he go out and do? Well, the servant uh, goes out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Pretty small debt by comparison. Very small debt by comparison. He grabs him and begins to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And yes, for that servant to say to the other servant, okay, I'll be kind to you, I will be generous to you, I'll let you have as much time as you need to pay back the silver coins. That would have been pretty nice. But after having been forgiven everything, he says to the man something completely different because we're told that he refused to have pity on him. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. By the way, when you go into debtor's prison, we don't have that anymore, you go into debtor's prison, there's no way you're going to pay it back because they didn't give jobs to prisoners back then. They didn't have a way to make money. They were in prison. He would never, ever get out of debt, never get out of prison. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and they went and told the master everything that happened. And the master called the servant back in. Boy, I don't think he wanted to be back there. You wicked servant, he says. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until she should pay back all he owed, which meant never. And this sounds rather harsh, this story. Sounds pretty harsh how he finally dealt with him, and yet it isn't really so far from reality. It's fairly close to our own reality of how we sometimes treat others. We who receive complete and utter forgiveness, the grace of God that covers all our sin, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and we receive it with no cost. We can sit here in this service right here and simply say, Jesus, forgive me, and your whole record is wiped clean because Jesus paid it all. He did it all. It is so easy for us to receive, and yet someone who's hurt us, someone who has offended us, someone who did something against us, and yes, they probably deserved it and they probably meant it, doesn't matter. It's so hard for us to let it go. We somehow want to get payback. We want to get vengeance. Somehow we want to get it right by doing something to them to make it even. And Jesus is telling this story about what happens to us. Jesus is telling us that if we do not show the grace to others that we have received ourselves, if the receiving of grace doesn't change our heart enough to give grace to those, even those who don't deserve it, who owe the debt, then we ourselves will put ourselves in a place where we will lose, lose that canceling of debt. We will lose the grace that came so freely that was unearned and so freely given because our hearts become too hard. Because of our unforgiveness, our hearts become unable to experience forgiveness. A number of years ago, in my previous work, I was asked to go to a church where there was a conflict involving the entire church. This was quite a number of years ago. The disagreement was actually between two families in the church. It had been going on for several years. But a rather public argument in the parking lot of the church after a service had made it a church-wide concern and everybody was troubled. I was asked to go there, so I did. I spent several days in homes visiting around, listening to people tell the story, trying to understand what was going on, what had created such really discord and unhappiness and animosity within a church, the people that God has loved so much. And I tried to listen to their stories and understand it, and I sit with so many different people so that I would be able to somehow help them reconcile within the church. At one point I was sitting in the home of one of the families, the one of the families in the very middle of the dispute, one of the two families that had had it going on for years and years. I was sitting in their home and listening to them, asking them to tell me how they could see the story. And they said to me, Pastor, we have to show you something. Once we show you this, you'll understand our position. You'll really understand and you'll, you'll agree with us. We just have to show you this. And so I waited and they went into another room and they came back. They came back with a really thick file folder, about two inches thick. I almost brought one today just to kind of make sure you could see that. 
of like a two-inch thick file folder, and they said to me, this folder is full of the record of the things that that other family has done over the last several years. Emails, things we've written about stuff they've said, things they've done, how they misbehaved here and there and the other thing. A long list full of pages. They said, if you just read this, you'll understand. Do you know what came to my mind when they told me that? And I'm looking at this file folder. It should come to your mind because earlier in the year, Many of you spend an entire month reading 1 Corinthians 13 every day. And sitting there in that moment, here's what came to my mind, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, the last part. Love does what? Love keeps no record of wrongs. And yet here they are with a file folder, packed full for years. I said to the family, I said, can you imagine... What would happen in my relationship if I kept a file folder like that on my wife? I could put a lot of stuff in there. It's been a lot of years, almost 40 years. And worse yet, if she kept a folder like that on me, it'd be even thicker. But what kind of relationship would we have if we kept file folders full of all of our misbehaviors and things that we said? Now, it would come in very handy, to be honest, because we like to keep a record of things. We like to maybe don't have a folder here, but we have a folder up here. We keep a record. We keep track of all the things, the stuff they said, the things they did, how they maybe didn't treat us as best they could, certain circumstances, because it's very handy to be able to pull it out at the right moment, right? Because it gives us power in the relationship. We can say, well, look what you did, you know, and it gives us a chance to manipulate people and hold it over them because we remember all the things they've done before so that we can remind them not as good as we are. But what kind of relationship does that create? What kind of relationship would we have with anyone if we kept that kind of record? If we had a list of all the things that have been done against us. Once so said by someone that's been, um, it's been attributed as a quote to many different people, which most of those attributions are incorrect, but probably the most accurate that they think they know, this quote that I'm going to share with you comes probably from one of the originated um, authors of the Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, And here's the quote, and it comes in different versions, but I'm going to use this one. Unforgiveness is the poison we drink, hoping others will die. Another version says, bitterness is the poison we drink, hoping others will die. In other words, when we hold on to the anger, when we hold on to the bitterness and the resentment for wrongs done against us, we add to our own suffering and pain. We want them to suffer, but we're the ones that suffer. You know, forgiveness may not fix them, but it certainly can do a huge amount for you. Because why are you carrying it when it's going to hurt you so much? Why do you carry the bitterness and anger and the unforgiveness around with you when it's not changing them? They probably don't even care. But it is changing you. 
It's limiting you to experience God's grace. It's limiting you to be able to live the life that God wants you to live free to be who he wants you to be because you're carrying around this ugliness and you're holding it in your heart and you're filing it away and it's keeping you from going where God wants you to be in here and out there. So we need to forgive as God forgives. When we receive the forgiveness of God, it needs to change our heart so that our heart has experienced that grace so deeply that we cannot help but offer that grace to those who are around us. Offer that grace to even those who don't deserve it, who have earned the debt that they owe us, who have misbehaved, who have treated us poorly. But we forgive them as Jesus forgave us. We need to remember how Thoroughly, God forgives. Here's a few of my favorite verses about how God forgives. Jeremiah 31. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now, I don't think God really is a forgetful God. I don't think he just forgets because he can't remember. I think God is saying he chooses to not remember. He chooses to not bring it up anymore because he's forgiven it. So why bring it up? It's gone. It's done. It's over. God's not lacking memory. He knows all things. But he chooses to forgive us because that's who he is. That's how he wants to treat us. Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, east from the west, So far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's a long distance. You know, you start going east and I'll start going west. We're not going to meet. I mean, we know it's a round world now, but when that was written, you're just not going to come together. That's a far distance. And that's how God forgives. He separates us from our sin. Micah 7, 19. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Like the Marianas Trench. Way down there, nobody's going to mess with it. Who's going to go there and dig them up? Nobody. Nobody's going to go down there and find your sins because Jesus says they're gone. They're way down the bottom of the sea. Nobody's going to find them there. Nobody's going to bring them back. If we only could forgive others like that. In Isaiah 31, 38, last one. In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction and have put all my sins behind your back. So who's going to go behind the throne of God and say, let me see what's back there and find those sins again? Not my God. Nobody's going back there. God says he put all those sins that he's forgiven behind his back and no one's looking around behind God. No one's sneaking around behind him to see what's there. They will not come back again because they were forgiven by an almighty and all-compassionate God. Forgiven completely. That is available to you today. That can change your life today. Do you want to have a better next year? Let's prepare ourselves to be free from the painful baggage that we often carry that could poison our own hearts and infect the relationships that matter most to us. I think that's way better than a new diet. 
That's way better than just doing some exercise. Because we can change our hearts and change our lives with what matters most to us, what lasts for eternity, and that's the relationships with the people around us, the people we love. Simply three steps. First, ask God's forgiveness and embrace all that it means to be free from guilt and shame. Totally free. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's no doubts. There's no maybe. It's done. Just ask. It's done. For Jesus loves you that much to forgive you all the bags of gold that you owe. He paid it. Number two, forgive others. Forgive others that have hurt you. I'm not suggesting that their pain they caused you was not real, that things that people did didn't matter. I'm not saying that you're even going to forget about it. You can't forget everything. History is history. What's true is true. But you can let go. You can forgive. You can choose in forgiveness not to keep thinking about it and dwelling on it and bringing it back up again. You can simply forgive. As Jesus told Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Over and over and over again, whenever some circumstance or seeing some person brings back that pain into your life and you think, I'm going to drink that poison hoping they will die. It's time to forgive again and again and again. And we could go on all day. Because the rest of your life you may be forgiving. If you want to love people and if you want God's love in your heart, you will keep forgiving over and over the rest of your life. The third one Maybe the most difficult of all. The first two have to be in place. But the third one is one that we often don't think about or we avoid. And that is we need to forgive ourselves. It's hard for us sometimes because we were there. And probably we know what we did. We know our part in whatever it was and we wish we had done something different, kind of like New Year's resolution. We think, you know, if I had made a different choice, maybe I wouldn't have been there. Maybe this wouldn't have happened. And even though we may be forgiving others and we've received the grace of God, sometimes we can't let go of carrying it around on ourselves. And we need to forgive ourselves. We need to let go of that thing, whatever it is that you've done, whatever consequence it created in your life and forgive yourself so that you can move on free with a clear conscience to do what God is calling you to do. To live the life that God really wants for you. To forgive yourself means to leave the past in God's hands. That you're going to Live the best that you know how moving forward, but you are going to trust God for all the rest. That living in regret 
and living with the burden and suffering of whatever was in your past is not going to help your future. The only thing that will help your future is trusting God and living for Him. Living day by day in His grace. Are you ready to finish well first? Who do you need to forgive in your heart? Is there someone you need to talk to or contact to heal a relationship? You've got a couple more days to finish well, to put it all behind you and have a, gra- a brand new, clean heart, ready to begin a new year with no baggage to be carried. As much as it is within our ability, let's enter that new year completely clean, forgiven, and free. Let's make a fresh start. Let's finish well first.